Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to a new sort of subset of Trundle Bed Tales Radio called Travel Times. And what we're going to be doing in this new series is we're going to try and get an insider's look at some of the travel spots that are around Iowa and around the country. When I was getting ready for the Laura Palooza conference last year on the Beyond Little House site, I had done a series of blog entries called One More on the Way, that was talking about um, just sort of vacation spots around that you might stop at on your way to Mankato. And that was so popular, I thought this might be of interest. And I'm also, uh, besides talking about places I know, I'm going to be interviewing people. And today, on our very first show, I have with us Aaron Wings, who is the Dean of Library Services at Kirkwood Community College, and he is a frequent participant in the Rag by Bicycle Race across Iowa. And since that is probably something I am never going to do firsthand, and maybe you aren't either, but if you're, uh, I thought everybody would be kind of interested because we talk about Rag by a lot in Iowa. And here we go. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Thank you. I'm so glad to have you be our very first uh, interviewee on these Travel Time segments, and I'm sure everybody will be really glad to learn about RAGBRAI. But uh, for the sake of our out-of-state listeners who may have never heard of this, what exactly is RAGBRAI? Well, it's an acronym for the Register's Annual Great Bike Ride Across Iowa. Um, It has been running since 1973. That was the original one. It was not called RAGBRAI then. I think it was just called Great Bike Ride Across Iowa. The second one was called SAGBRAI, the second annual Great Bike Ride Across (laughs) Iowa. And then after that, they thought they would just go with RAGBRAI. So the first official RAGBRAI was in 1975. Um, It goes from river to river. The Iowa is the land of two rivers. We are between the Missouri on the west and the Mississippi on the east. So the tradition has it that we uh, dip our tires in the Missouri River or whatever river is close because um, it's not fully uh, bordered on the west side. And then we ride to the Mississippi River and uh, dip our tires there. So it's called the River to River Ride. I just love that part about the dipping the two tires, the back tire in Missouri and the front tire in the Mississippi. I just think that is so cool. It is. It just it really gives a nice um, sense of completion, and it's a, it, it comes full circle is what it creates. So does it follow the same route every year? It doesn't. It uh, There is a, and this has changed over the years, this will be the 39th running. It's always in the... Uh, now, in its current incarnation, is always the last full week in July, and there is a committee of folks at um, the register that every year work with the state patrol and with communities across Iowa to ma- 
to map a route that will allow the bicyclists to stay off of the major roads and to have manageable travel distances between the host or the overnight communities um, where they um, can spend the night and move on. So it's always kind of a, I think I think of it as a puzzle that they need to put together of moving west to east, you know, no more than 100 miles in a day, and um, getting uh, roughly now 10,000 riders uh, moving across the state on their bicycles safely. So uh, are some years' routes harder than others? Definitely. <laughs> they. Uh, I think my theory is that depending on the level of participation they have and the level of participation they desire, they make routes either harder or easier. But I, they've never fessed up to that, but that's my theory about how they decide. Um, they, you know, Iowa is a land of you know, very different terrain. And um, in the northern part where we had glaciers, um, it is there is a lot of flat territory. Um, I think actually yesteryear, last year was the second shortest and second flattest because we went across that north uh, glacier, you know, impacted area. Mm-hmm. Southern Iowa, on the other hand, didn't see any glaciers and has a lot terrain a lot more like uh, northern Missouri. So it's very hilly typically very hot down there and i don't know if it's typically longer but the the length has a lot to do with how much north and south they take us so that, that frequently we can there will be days where we can ride 80 miles but we will only move 30 miles further east and it will be because we went either a lot of north and south again to to get those towns connected to move on to the next town mm-hmm well, well, it must really give you a lot of a very good feel for the terrain because that's you. you I, one thing I've noticed just around here, if uh, where where I live, if you drive your uh, car and then you walk that same terrain, you notice it's so so much different. How much more up and down, and how big of a distance it really is. And I think riding the bike would would be sort of that same feeling. <laughs> and that is certainly true. And kind of our experience of that is most, um, you know, the best example of that is as we ride through these communities and through these counties, we we will talk to people about, oh, what's the terrain ahead? You know, that's a, you know, it's the weather and the terrain is, is and the food is is a lot of our topic of conversation. And we learned early on that you don't trust people who only drive over this terrain in cars to give you an accurate depiction of what it might be like on your bicycle. I'm sure that's true. It's it's real easy to think that something's not not a problem when you're being pulled along by a motor. That's exactly right. And it's, you know, it's just to them that's not really that big of a rise, you know, you just go over and oh there's just that that one hill which in, you know, in the car, yes, that might be the only significant hill, but there's all kinds of other hills that on a bicycle you know, are significant before you get to the big one that, you know, that they recognize in their car. So has anybody famous gone on RAGBRAI? There has been a lot of famous people. Certainly the most famous one was Lance Armstrong. I think he's, um, 
he um, has done it. I believe it was three years, kind of in between his retire in uh, the first time he retired from bicycling, and before he made his comeback, he he was there for three years, and that certainly created quite a stir. There also, it, for a while there, it seemed like presidential candidates might spend a couple of days on Ragbray. John Edwards spent a couple of days. I think Bill Richardson spent a couple of days um, there, I believe, but I'm not sure. Um, Lamar Alexander, you know, so there was a period there where the, it was a way to meet Iowans, to kind of be participate kind of in the Iowa culture. And so the um, – but there's also been, you know, uh, movie stars. Tom Arnold used to be a regular. Um, so, there, yeah, there has been a sprinkling of people who hear about it and want to participate. Did you ever see any of the famous people? Uh, <laughs> um, the, the closest I got to Lance, although my brother has a nice picture of him, uh, was we were um, – the the way Lance used to ride would be he would, you know, most of us would start at 7 in the morning and take six or seven hours to do the ride. Lance would start at 10 in the morning and take about three hours to do the ride. And, uh, <laughs> the, uh, and he would have quite an entourage with him. So the closest I ever got to him was um, – we were we were on the road and we we had a sense that he was behind us and we were kind of anticipating that and um my brother's wife who was driving the car for us saw him leave town and called us on the phone to say you know he's behind you so you know get ready and it, we um pulled off the road to take the phone call and then he went by. If we had been on the road, we have enough ability that we could have rode at least behind that group for a little while, if not actually with them. But from a standing start, there was no way we were going to be able to, you know, get back up to them. Because we ride around 16 to 18 miles an hour. They ride around 28 to 32 miles an hour. Wow, that's pretty fast. It Perfect. is. Um, so how did you get started with going on Ragbri? Well, it started my first Ragbri was um in 1982. I was also my first year I spent in Iowa, but I grew up in Nebraska, pretty close to the Iowa border, always within 40 miles of that, and I was a bicyclist. I had bought uh, a nice bicycle while I was in college and I I rode quite a bit <clears throat> and I was uh at my parents uh during the summer during when the the bike ride was starting about 50 miles from my home and so the radio coverage both out of Sioux City and Omaha was that there's this bike ride coming and there's going to be all these bicyclists and they're you know and this is what and that was the first I had heard of it and I thought boy that's really cool but you know by that time it was not enough time to figure out what it was and how to get on it. But that fall, I moved to Iowa City to, for graduate school and um, was interested in it and met a woman that had ridden it three times already and was uh, um, very much interested in going again. And we ended up going on it together that next year and um, – we the next year we got married and went on it again and have been going on and on and off for the last 28 years. 
Well, that's just wonderful. I didn't realize that was how you met your wife. I'm glad I asked that question. It was a good story. (laughs) Um, So what keeps you coming back to doing Rag Ride? Do you see health benefits? Do you like seeing Iowa, the camaraderie? Well, I think the first thing for me is I really like to be on my bicycle. There's just something um, almost spiritual about moving through the landscape, and whether it's Iowa, Wisconsin, Missouri, Nebraska, Minnesota, and I do most of my biking here in the in the this, that central Midwest, um, it just is something that feels really good to me, and you get to see nature and kind of be a, among it with, you know, without the noise of a vehicle, without the, um, the windshield and the, the, the enclosedness. And so there's just, for me, something about, you know, moving through the, the landscape under my own power and, you know, having it be quiet and be very, you know, non-disruptive to the environment. And just, so that's the, kind of the the first draw for me the the second draw is there's a feeling on ragbray that is just um kind of undescribable but the it has the it has a quality of the everyday kind of things of life that we concern ourselves with the news and the happenings and and money and and whatever really for the most part disappears on the ride although that's less so now that everybody has, you know is wired into communication and you can you know get the newspaper on your hand you know a device in your hand but in the old days particularly you know you we would th- during the week people really didn't pay attention to the news and we didn't really have ways to stay connected to the outside world. So it was more of a kind of a community that was created that was moving across the state. Um, That's less so now because of, you know, kind of social media and just the size and and kind of of the, the nature that it's taken on. But there still is that feel of, you know, just people on their bicycles, you know, moving a you know moving from place to place. We were at um, the High Trestle Trail on Sunday. We that's uh, uh, the trail runs between Woodward and Ankeny, and it's just a brand new trail. But there were so many people out there because it was new and it was such a beautiful day. You know, there was just bicyclists and walkers and people pushing baby carriages and and just all kinds of different people. And, and I said to Trish, this feels a lot like Ragbray, you know, because there was no cars that could come, you know, in on the trail, and you just had these people that were there for a very kind of peaceful experience, and that's a lot what you get from, uh, the, what I get from the ride. That was a really long answer. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, what do you have to do for training to get in shape for it? Well, different people train different ways. Um, our um, theory has, at, at least our most recent theory, is that if we ride a 1,000 miles before the ride starts, we'll probably have a, a fairly comfortable ride. And, you know, back, in, back when I was younger, that used to be 500. But uh, as I get older and have to, well, and uh, it just seems like we have to ride more to be more comfortable. Um, 
But a lot of people, and I think a lot of people don't ride very much, but my, you know, kind of thing on that is it's kind of an equation. The less you ride before, the more uncomfortable you're going to be on it. And the more you ride before, the um, the more comfortable you'll be. And so I, I'm, I go for the comfort. I'm willing to invest on the front end to have a comfortable ride. So a thousand miles in the month before, the couple weeks before. Oh, no, for uh, basically the uh, six months before. Oh, we usually, okay. We usually start about February and build up slow, maybe you know, thirty miles, sixty miles, seventy miles for those months, and then by May or June we're riding three hundred miles, probably four hundred miles in June, and then July a couple hundred before the the ride starts. Mm. So we gradually increase to where we can ride a a 75-mile day fairly comfortably. So you mentioned going with other people, and I think think you have a team. Uh, Do most people ride in a team, or do most people just go by themselves? I think... um, the, in its, the currently, most people go with some kind of organized team. Our team is mostly consists of uh, myself and my wife and my two brothers and uh, a longtime friend of mine and his brother-in-law, and then we usually add in a couple of miscellaneous people around that, depending on who's interested and who wants to go. But that's kind of the core uh, team for us. There are quite a few... Um, regional teams in that, um, you know, Chicago has a team, the Twin Cities has a, you know, there's places that come from larger areas, um, but, and, but, and usually in kind of a charter, you know, some kind of way that helps you get your bags across, helps you get to the beginning of the ride, helps you get back from the, the end of the ride. When it, when it first started, or back when I first started Ragbreak 10, there was almost none of that. And everybody, um, the way we got our gear across the state was there were three semi-trailers that you would load your gear on up in the morning and you would pull your gear off of in the evening. And, you know, of the 6,000 people that were riding, probably 5,500 of them were using these uh, semi-trailers for to have their gear moved. Today, they are down to about a half of a semi-trailer. So there's there's just not that many people that rely on the register uh, to move their gear across. They almost all have some kind of support for a team through, you know, a, a group that, you know, moves their stuff across. What's your team's name? <laughs> you know, we haven't been able to come up with one. We we um, kind of because the the membership kind of changes a little bit. We we just have not been able to come up with one yet. Well, um, do you have Ragbri friends that you see on the ride every year that you just see on Ragbri? Not as much as we used to. I mean, I think one of the changes in the ride is because there's now you know, 13, 15, 18,000 people, it, it has lost some of its small-town feel. That, um, and so there's, it's harder to see the same people. Um, so it's now it's, a, you know, so not as much as we used to, but back in the first, 
you know, five, six years that we went, um, there was a lot of if you rode the same time every day or you rode in the same pace, you would start seeing the same people. You would have conversations. You would see them the next year. But as more as it's gone to more team membership and just become larger, um, there's less of that. Uh, do you have to go the whole way if you start to do RAGBRAI? You don't, and most most people start by just doing a day or two, and it's a really, I mean, I think um, I think the, diff- the experience of Iowans and out-of-state Iowans, and now there's more people from out of Iowa that do the ride than within, um, the, the, the ex- common experience for Iowans is that it comes through the town they live in or a town close to where they live, they go out and ride a day or they see it and they experience it a little bit, and then they they decide that's for them. I think for the out-of-state people, their common experience is they know somebody who went, had a great time, and then they do come for the whole week on kind of their first experience. So when you talk to them, it's like, well, this is my first time, and this is, you know, however they uh, see it. But but no, this year actually is going to be the first year in 10 years that we're not going to do the whole thing, but we're just planning on doing the last three or four days depending on logistics. Uh, if somebody wants to participate, do they have to register with the register, or uh, how does that work? It is strongly encouraged. They um, There is a uh, the registration for the whole week, if you want to go the whole week, opens up around Thanksgiving time and closes on, I believe, April 1st. And then shortly after that, they'll award the um, the um, – you get wristbands and um and they so that's if you're going for the whole week they strongly encourage that um if you're just going for a couple of days you can also buy daily wristbands and so that's what we'll be doing this year is buying a a day wristband or registering for the individual days that we're riding so where do you sleep at night well <laughs> that also has varied over the years um, but the, your your three choices really are to sleep in the campgrounds that the towns provide, uh, sleep in um, the somewhere with a, a host member of the community, either in a tent in their yard or in a sleeping bag on their floor or in a bed if that's um, available. So there's quite in the host towns there's quite a um, bit of activity around matching people to you know, host members of the community. And um, and then the third option that we discovered in 2003 is that you can drive to a motel in a neighboring community. So and um, we typically m- mix those um, those options during a, a, a week long. So we might spend three nights in the campground, two or three nights in a motel, and when we get lucky, like we will this year, um, we'll get to spend a night in our bed because the Friday night overnight is in Coralville and I live in Iowa City. So that's always fun to wake up in my own bed, get on my bike, and get back on the bike ride for the last day. Uh, a lot of times towns say that they're ready for rag ride. Have you ever hit a town that wasn't ready? <laughs> we we have, and I think um, 
And I don't think it was because they weren't trying. I think it was because of the enormity of the uh, proposition. The the town that I can remember, and, and I alluded to it before when I said in 2003 we figured out we could go to motels, was uh, in 2003 we were going across southern Iowa, and we the overnight town was Bedford, which has 1,600 people. And there were at least 10,000 of us bike riders. And so the the ability to for a town, and the three things that the town has to provide is a place for everybody to sleep, uh, food for everybody to eat, because we don't carry any of that with us, and showers. Showers are really critical if you're riding your bike 60 to 70 to 80 miles in July. So, um, so I think that was a town that really was just overwhelmed by the sheer numbers. And each, um, but I also think that it, with each passing year, the register gets better at predicting how many people they're going to have, predicting what it's going to take for the towns to accommodate them. And so it's just getting a little more scientific, a little more kind of numbers-based. Well, that's good. You don't really want to be caught in a, an unready town. That would be imagine no, that many people would be a mess. <laughs> yes, you end up with um, people, you know, having to really be creative about how you're going to get your evening meal. And uh, one of the common ways to get an evening meal on Ragbury is a what we call church suppers, although it's not always a church. But an organization will typically in a church basement have a ham dinner, a meatloaf dinner, lasagna, spaghetti, or whatever. And each of these can accommodate, depending on the size, again, of the community and the church, maybe 300 to 500 people. And so, um, but what what you'll experience if you're kind of late for supper, as it were, is you'll be moving from church to church and, you know, finding out if they have any food left. And then there just gets to be this kind of growing uh, bubble of people that are now in search of food together at the same time. But that's how it looks. That's how it looks on the food side. On the shower side, then it just becomes long lines, you know, where on a in a town that really – has been able to accommodate the numbers and spread the people out, you know, you might not wait at line at all for a shower. And in a town that has less options and more condensed people, you know, you might wait 20 or 30 minutes in line to take a shower in the evening. Goodness, that sounds like those old uh, car hotels, you know, the little cabins they'd have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what happens if there's a breakdown or somebody gets hurt? There is very good support, and this has gotten better over the years, too, as communication has gotten better. And, and again, they've just done it so many times that they, they can predict. But there's a number of bike shops in the state that um, come along as kind of um, support. So they, they do repairs in the campground at night, and then they also have designated spots on the road and designated times where they provide support on the road too, and then so there's that's for all the minor repairs and and but there's also what's called a sag wagon, which is a van uh, with a trailer behind it that comes along towards the end of the ride and picks up anybody that has a mechanical difficulty or a health issue that doesn't allow them to continue. 
So you can always tell kind of how bad the day is by how full the sag wagons are and how many times you see them. <laughs> well, it sounds like they really do have it down to a science anymore. They do very much, and they also with the uh, on the health care side, they also have um, a system of both kind of um, regional uh, ambulance or emergency services personnel and local personnel, and they coordinate that so that every, I'm guessing, 20 miles or so on the ride, there will be a uh, an ambulance with a doctor. Um, and a staff that can respond to any uh, health conditions. It, it actually, the Mike McLaughlin here at Kirkwood used to be, uh, for five or six years, the coordinator of that ambulance uh, health care service. Well, we are just about out of time today, so I want to thank you very much for being our first guest. Oh, and you're I very welcome. And I think everybody enjoyed hearing about RAGBRAI because I think lots of Iowans experience it as something that comes through their town and happens to them and not so much as something they're a part of. So I'm glad that we could share about that today. Oh, well, thank you for inviting me. Well, and for all the listeners out there, the next regularly scheduled episode of Trendlebed Tales is going to be in a week on the 18th, and I'm going to be talking to them about the Laura Ingalls Wilder pageant in DeSmet, South Dakota, because this is the 40th anniversary. So I hope that I will find you all then, and let's play out on the theme song. Mm-hmm.